Hello and welcome to GCAF Online. Our text for today is found in Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. Then some children were brought to him so that he, may, he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Because see, this is the situation that we find ourselves in, the, in Jesus' story. Parents were bringing their little babies to Jesus so that Jesus could bless them. Now, this would be the, the agenda of Jesus, that, the, that people would come to him. Right? He, he's actually come down from heaven to earth to be with us. He is God with us. He's preaching that the, that the kingdom of God is at hand and people should repent and believe in Him, that the kingdom is present. And so, He's, he's been seeking people to, uh, to follow Him. And so, this, these parents are... What, what's, they're, they're fulfilling the kingdom agenda that they're now bringing babies to Jesus. They're, they themselves are coming to Jesus. Now, here's, that, that would be the best thing that we could do for people. That, that's the best thing you could do for your children, if you're parents, and that's the best thing you could do for your friend, for your loved ones, if, if you're already of, of sound mind and sound judgment, that, that's the best thing we could do to other people to bring them to Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. The problem is that when the parents came, when they came with their little babies, the disciples were trying now to drive them away. They were rebuking them and saying, hey, guys, you got to leave. You're causing a disturbance here. The disciples are with Jesus. They are doing things with Jesus. And now, their actions are not in line with the kingdom agenda. They, they are, in fact, driving people away from Jesus. And we could see that in verse 14, the reaction of Jesus is that He got really angry. He got, he got, he got so mad with His disciples when they did this. You see, that's in Mark 10, 14. You don't see it in Matthew 19. But Mark 10, 14 describes to us how the, the tone or the manner of, how, of what, how Jesus said His peace to the disciples. Mark 10, 14 said, Jesus really got angry here with His disciples and said to them, don't stop the children, leave them alone. And so, here's, here's something also to put that in context. Jesus only got mad. Got really angry with his disciples only a few times. And that's when, if you can remember back in the, when we, we, we tackled Matthew, is that he got angry with his disciples when, when they became proud, when there was evident pride in their life, when they were bickering of who was greatest among them. He, he got really mad with that. And, and he also rebukes them, he gets mad at them when, when they are uh, living in a form of unbelief, not believing in Him. So, and He's also been rebuking them, correcting them, getting mad at them as well. When they have this now, the, a preferential treatment against little children. And He's saying, don't do that. Okay? And so, you can imagine that Jesus here is like any good parent. That when He sees His children in, in, a, in a destructive behavior, when he sees his children doing things that would put them in, in a dangerous situation of their life or in a trajectory, he, he gets mad about it and he corrects them. And so, today I want to talk to you about how Jesus taught his disciples here. But what the, the, the culture of God's kingdom is, for, especially for little children. And so, as a parent, I believe this would be tremendously helpful for you and me. And as a, a disciple of Jesus Christ as well, 
this would be of tremendous benefit for us to take to heart what Jesus taught in this story. So I'm going to title this sermon as Cultivating the Kingdom Culture for God's Children. As parents, we can, we can far too often get worried about the things that matter the least. You see, we, 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 we worry about where our children will go to school. We worry if we can put them to a good school. We worry about uh, how much I'm going to earn so that I can give this to my family. We can easily get drowned with uh, worries, even if they, are, if they sound good or, or seemingly are wise in the ways of the world. But see, there, there was an, there's an advocate of, of children. His name is Samuel Saba. And, and he said, he asked this question, what do children need the most? And, and during his life and his uh, work, he, he discovered that, he said, children don't need better teachers. Children don't need better uh, curriculums. Children don't need better books. What our children need the most are better childhoods. And so, he said, we'll never see lasting school reform or change there until we see parents reform. If you think about it, what children need most come from their parents. It's not, a, it's not wealth. Children don't need wealth or money the most. Children don't need to go to good schools the most. Children even don't need uh, the, the, the idea that they are, they are uh, of safety the most. See, what children need the most is for their parents would be there for them. And so the Bible tells me that what we also need the most is not a what, but a who. You see, we can easily get worried about what, what, how, what of the what, right? What can I give? What can I do for them? What we, the best thing we can do for our children is to bring them to the person, Jesus Christ. As a disciple, it's, it's not about the programs that we do. It's not about a method. It's not about something that we are, but who do we bring them to? The who as well. So, you can have a home where you can have, you, you have already more than you can ever imagine. You could send your children to the best school. But if it is a home that is not marked by dependence upon God, it can be a, a place, your home, filled with anxiety, distress, and restlessness. There would be no peace in that home. You could also have a home that would, that would be marked by poverty, meaning that the parents would not be able to send their children to a good school. In fact, the children would maybe have to work part-time as working students just so they can go, go to school or help out or chip in. And in that situation in the, of the family where it's not e money is not easy to come by. But if that home is marked by a trust and dependence upon God. You see that home wherein there's no money, there's no security, could still be the best place on earth, a restful place. So everyone's ultimate need is Jesus Christ. And as parents, you have to realize this, there's the huge weight to this that our actions can actually contribute to drawing children, our children nearer to Jesus or driving them further away from Jesus. And as a Christian, same thing, that you have to realize there's a weight. In fact, we tackled that several weeks ago. Jesus said, woe is you if you are going to un cause unnecessary uh, people to unnecessarily stumble because of what you're doing personally, right? See, the gospel is already an offense by itself. And Jesus, said, by preaching the gospel, has offended many people. 
But Jesus, in Jesus' life, His words, His actions, apart from the gospel, you never see anything that would cause people to stumble. And so Jesus is saying that for you and me as well, that He said, we have to also be careful, limit your freedom, right? Uh, do, do things for the glory of God, work for God, not for men, even if things are not right at home, even if things are not right at, at work. We have to be, we have this responsibility as kingdom ambassadors that our actions as well will either, will contribute either to the drawing of people to Jesus Christ or turning them off and away from Jesus Christ. So the question for you and me today is this. How then do we draw people closer to Jesus instead of driving them away? Just as the disciples here were doing when, the peop- when parents came with their babies. And here's what Jesus taught His disciples on this, on our, on our text on Matthew. We can draw people near, closer to Jesus if we cultivate the kingdom culture in our children, in our life, that would be then the culture, our lifestyle, that would be drawing people closer to who, who we need the most in life, Jesus Christ. Cultivating the kingdom culture in your life, your home, and your church community is the best thing you could do for people. It's the best thing you could do for your friends, your loved ones. See, Jesus Himself cultivated the kingdom culture in His disciples. And I'm, I'm talking about culture a lot, right? So, what's culture? Culture is the, the totality, it's the sum of a community, a group of people, a family, a local church family's values, traditions, belief how they interact with each other, how they behave with each other or when they're alone, and their attitudes. All of these summed up forms our culture, the culture in your home, the culture in your local church, the culture in your workplace. See, a family, when, 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 what, would, what would people say when, for example, uh, there, let's take out of the consideration here the size of your home. For example, what if a visitor would come inside your home, would visit and, and would stay for maybe three months, maybe six months? What would the visitor see, feel, hear in your home? How, how would Papa, how does Papa uh, act or react when he arrives from home after a long day a long and tiring day of, from work. How does Papa treat his wife? How does Papa treat his children when he's tired and, and grumpy? How does Mama talk to Papa or treat him when they don't see eye to eye on things? When when they're in front of the when they're in front of the children, or when they're they 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 think they're alone, but through the walls of the house, they could still be heard. How does Mama and Papa treat each other. You see, what the visitor would, for example, the theoretical visitor would see is the culture of your home. In the church family, when people would join for the first time, a few times in, in, your, in your local church, what would they feel when they come in the, the, con- the hall, the worship hall? What would they feel when they see the people there for the first time that they, they hardly know? What kind of treatment would they receive? How would they see each member in this local church treat each other? Would they see genuine love and warmth from God's people? Would they, would they feel this, oh, I feel I'm so welcome here. I, I, feel, I really feel the love of God in this place. Or would they see awkwardness between God's people? Would they see them ignoring each other as they pass by? Would they see that there is somehow an infighting, a spirit of unforgiveness? Uh, Somehow people 
talking bad about each other behind each other's back that, that's going on in that local church family. That, the sum of it, every action and reaction of the people, a group of people in that local church family is your culture. That's a church culture. You have a family culture, and you also have a church culture. Wherever you go in a community, if you, if you plug yourself in in your community, you find yourself in a culture. And so, have you ever wondered why it's like that? That the culture in your family is like that? How come we're like this, guys? How come we do this? How come this is how we do things or react to things? Or have you ever wondered why as well? That's also what's going on wherever you go, in your workplace, in the church. So, what's been said about culture might help you understand why that's happening. It's been said that it's not the plan. You see, there's, there was a very successful football coach that said this. He said, you don't, you don't win or lose football games with plans, with schemes, right? Running plays. See, this football coach whose job is actually to make plays, run plays, right? Make schemes. He said, you know what? Schemes, plans, plays are overrated. And he explains. He says, I can show you. See, I can show you. I can prove it to you. I can show you people winning with a particular scheme. They, they have, in the basketball, they call it the triangle offense of Michael Jordan and, and Phil Jackson, right? And he said, in football, he said, he's applying the same thing. He said, I can show you that they're also applying the same plays, right? Play by play, everything there, they're copying it, right? And, and they're winning. And, but the, go, the coach goes on, he says, but I can also show you People who are using the exact same scheme and they're losing. They're running the same stuff and yet they're losing because place, methods, right? You could buy the, the best cookbooks. You could buy the, the how to grow healthy plants out there in books and materials. You could watch YouTube all day on how-tos, how-tos, and, and still you see other people succeeding but then find yourself struggling or failing. And what's the difference? This, this coach explains it and says, scheme, the how-to, is just a tiny portion of a coach's job. You win or you lose in football. It's the context here for him, but also apply for us. He says, you win or lose, you, you are successful or not with people, with players, and the culture. You see, you get the culture. It's been said that you get the culture you allow. You ever wondered why your culture is like that? That's the culture you've allowed. And finally, this one is also said about culture. Culture doesn't just happen. It doesn't just grow overnight. It is the result of what you do every day. So in a family, every family member, every day, how they act, react, and their responses contributes in the shaping and the forming of the family culture. But it is the parents who are primarily the culture, uh, sets the culture, the tone, right? They're the culture makers, the parents are. But children as well contribute to the culture family. You see, when, when, when mama and papa would say, hey guys, let's, let's do this, let's do this for the family, and one surly child would say, no, I don't like them, and I'm like, what's going on? The, 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 that action of the child, the surliness, it, it, if it is every day, if it is allowed to keep on going every day, you see what happens? The, the whole culture of that family gets affected. And so, in a larger scale, in a church family, every member of the local church family is a contributor to the culture of the local church. And this is how the, the church would be known by other people. The, the, it would take the characteristic 
of the totality of our values, our reactions, how we, our behaviors. And that's all about the culture that we have. And so you see that Jesus was developing in His disciples. This is year two now for Jesus. And every day, He's been developing. And I like to use the word for us today, cultivating. Jesus has been cultivating the kingdom culture in His disciples every day. Every day, little deposits. Every time He sees an opportunity, He takes advantage of it and teaches His disciples, shows them, illustrates for them, explains to them about the kingdom culture. And so, cultivate. The idea here is that you are fostering the growth of something. You're helping it grow, preparing something. Or, uh, for example, a, a field. You're cultivating the raising of crops to, so that they would grow to their maximum potential. Cultivate is an agric agricultural term. And I picked up on these because, you know, the last few weeks I've seen in, in, in CDO Barter or how Kagen Dioro is such a, uh, we're so eager for barters to, uh, these days, right? And so the, one of the more, more popular things to barter right at the moment is the plants, okay? Never imagined plants would cost that much, but it does. But, and so, see, cultivating is an agricultural term. And the idea here is that you do this every day. This is a daily task you have to cultivate every day. And it involves hard work. And there's a time element to this as well. You have to respect that there, there, there's things that would have to, you have to wait and see a, a, gro a growth, a growing, right? A season of growth, a season of planting, a season of waiting. And so, we can also see that in agriculture, there are no strangers to having encounters with forces beyond their control, as well as having this trust and dependence that having done everything I can, I have to trust God who, to make things grow. <laughs> and that sounds to me like parenting a lot. That sounds to, a lot uh, to me like how we also, in a sense, we do things in the business where all those things are involved church. And so, I see a lot of practical principles that we could glean by when we say Jesus is cultivating the kingdom culture in His disciples, even in this story with the little children. You see, Jesus every day has been living with His disciples and journeying with them. He's been meeting their needs. He's been teaching them, correcting them, modeling for them. He, Jesus has been setting the kingdom culture for us to follow. And so how did, how did he did it? First, Jesus established that in the kingdom culture, there should be love. That's the first thing that he did, love. That's the first thing he did, right? To come down because, because of love. He loved us first, even though we didn't love him. He, called, he was the one who called his disciples, interrupting their lives. They were just happily doing and, and waiting in their own sin and going to their own death. Jesus stopped, uh, steps into their lives, interrupts them because he loves them. Jesus shows them love. And so, going back to Matthew 19, 13, some children, and we know that in Luke 18, 15, these are not bigger children, children that could think or could walk already. These are little children's babies. They had to be carried in their parents' arms. Jesus had to carry them in His arms. These were helpless little babies. And so, we know that all children are so precious to God. And this should give any parent hope that we could trust God no matter what happens to our children because He loves them, and dare I say, even more than daddy and mommy could ever love their own baby. See, little children have a special place in Jesus' heart. He's extra tender with them. He's extra, He has a special 
affection for them. And I believe that little children have God's special grace and protection that He doesn't offer to anybody else. He, because they are little children, little babies are that special for Jesus. What, where am I getting that? Second Samuel 12, 23. If you remember, King David, he was praying so hard, Lord, please spare my baby boy. Don't, don't, don't let him die from his sickness. And he, he's, pray, he's fasting, he's praying. And then God's sovereign wisdom as well, the answer was a no. His baby boy died. And yet we see in Samuel 12, 23, and it's there. God puts it there for you and me, for any parent today, so we can have hope. You know what David said? He said, my baby boy can't come to me right now. He's gone. He's dead. He's gone to heaven. But I shall go with him one day. It's a little baby boy. He didn't express any faith. He didn't say, I believe in Jesus because the baby could not. And yet, it's there in the Bible. Express an expression of faith from the man who is known to be a man after God's own heart. He says, my baby boy is gone from this world. I'll miss him. But one day I'll go there to be with him and we'll see each other again. Hope and faith for any parent today. Because that's how God loves the little children. That He has a special grace for them. He has a special protection from them. And so, we now see that it's also not just limited to little babies. Remember, a few weeks ago, we said, Jesus sees all His disciples as precious little children as well. Matthew 18.4 says, whoever humbles himself as this baby He's been using babies as illustrations as well, right? Any chance Jesus gets, He grabs it to develop the kingdom culture in His disciples. And it's Matthew 19, 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, such as these babies, such as anybody that would humble himself as these, as babies. See, Jesus loves the little children, and Jesus loves every disciple like His little children. That, I think, is a truth that anybody will never have a hard time believing in. Every, kind of hear an amen, and, and a lot of people would chip and shout amen to that, right? So what's the problem here? Why did this problem then occur? When little children mess up, did you expect it that it would not happen? And you would probably say, oh, there's a little secret for every parent, right? Every parent can tell you kids mess up all the time. They make mistakes all the time. So what, what does Jesus love so much about, much about little children? It's not that they are perfect. It's not that they're innocent. See, anybody knows that little babies, they're not innocent. The Bible tells us that we were born already with sin. And, and so, is it their perfect obedience? And we know that the, even the most obedient, the most wonderful child is not always obedient. Is it their cuteness, their enthusiasm? No, no, no to all of that. Jesus loves little children because... They are utterly dependent on their parents to meet their needs, to meet their desires, to meet their wants, everything, anything. That's how, why God loves them so much. There's no pride. There's no, oh, I, I can do things on my own. I, I'm going to make things on my own, right? Children need to survive with parents. Children need that even their desires, their wants would be met by their parents. And we too, as disciples of Jesus Christ, 
are to be utterly dependent on Him. It's not that we don't mess up. That, that's why God loves us. We, we will mess up. And yet, the love of God for us is that we are like little children. We would be loved even if we do. So, that, that's, that's so, I think, so wonderful for us. That's the, the part of the good news of God's love for us. But it's so easy to forget that. That's the reason why the disciples tried to drive away when the, the parents that came with their little children. You guys are a bother. And that's the second thing that we see Jesus doing. See, He's been loving them even though they make mistakes like little children do. He's, he's been loving them even though they've created messes after messes, right? And it's repeated again and again. The same mistakes repeated again and again. Yet, Jesus still loves them. He's established them that in their kingdom culture. He's showing them that. And now, Jesus now, the second thing He does to cultivate the kingdom culture in His disciples is that He teaches them. See, if you love them, you have to teach them. You can't, you can't be passive on this. Parents, disciples of Jesus Christ, we can't be passive on this. We have to show them and teach them the Word of God because the Word of God is the, the revealed will. That, that's who He is. That's bringing them to Jesus. And so, Matthew 19, 13, you see that when the situation rose up, parents were bringing their children to Jesus. The problem was triggered. The disciples saw that as a bother. They know. They're supposed to know already. They're supposed to know better already. Children are precious to God. That's tackled a few weeks ago. Matthew 18, you see it all the way. Jesus has been consistent with that. They know the truth. In fact, they agree that to the truth. They, they say, yes, we're, it, children are precious to God. We agree to that. That's true. That's good. And yet, when reality comes, when the situation actually occurs, little children are brought to Jesus. What happens? There's a disconnect now from what they know and what they're doing. And so, we see that problems occur when we know the truth and it becomes a disconnected reality from living in the truth. There, there's a disconnect. A lot of people say, you know, one of the most common objections when you go to a person and to teach him the error of his ways, you know what's the most common objection that they, that they will say, the common, most common justifica justification? I know that already. You go to say a person, hey, you know what? What you're doing is not right. You know what you're supposed to do is this. The person would say, you're a bother. I know that already. And yet, there is a disconnect from what he's knowing, what he knows already, what he's agreeing, to what is actually the reality of what he's doing. So, teaching here has to involve any good parent has to teach. And Jesus is teaching here and pointing out, by pointing out to His disciples, the inconsistencies between what is known and what the person is actually doing. I do this a lot with Dylan. Dylan is now a six-year-old, but I've been doing this since he was able to reason. See, I would, I would, every time... Lately, they've been when they have a quarrel with, with his little sister, who's two years old. And, and, and we've been teaching Dylan that as, as an older brother, this is how you should love because this is how your parents loved you when you were also a baby. So there was a, a, a certain situation where uh, uh, Shobe, Gwyn, broke one of Dylan's toys. And Dylan got so mad because he loved that toy. And he got so mad and he, and he, he was... Uh, you know, try, trying what little boys do, venting out his anger, and, and so he and I had a had to had a sit down. We had we had a talk, and I pointed out to him, you know what? Do you know that you only have one sister? And he said, yes, I know. Do you know that 
you, you have so many toys. Uh, yes, I know. You know that if th that toy broke and, and toys are not the most important, it's family. You, you know that? He says, yes. If, you, if your toy broke, daddy and mommy could find ways as well to replace it. Do you know that? Yes, I know that. So now I point out to him his inconsistency. I said, so how come you did that to Shabe? And he had to think for a while. Do you love Shabe? And he said, yes. Okay, so when you love somebody, so what am I doing? I'm pointing out to him the inconsistencies of what he's accepted as true, what he, he knows to be true, and what he's actually doing. And that is teaching. And that's what Jesus here is doing. He's angry because the disciples are, not con are, not, are turning away or driving away people that are precious to him. They're already coming to Jesus and they're driving them away. The, the disciples are supposed to know better. So he's teaching them here now. Guys, by saying to them to go away, you're driving them away. That's wrong here. You're already inconsistent now with living in the truth. So you could say, Grabe naman ang disciples, how, come, how, could, how could they do that? Little babies, you drive them away, so cute, right? Do you know that we are actually doing the same thing? We could easily do the same thing because what's our problem? We easily forget, right? So what, what, are, what would be modern-day behaviors that we could probably relate to the disciples more than we thought we could? You see, children must, act, must learn to act appropriately. Even adults, we need constantly to be taught, to be reminded to act appropriately. As little children, we, we must be taught repeatedly. And we know that as, even as adults, repetition is still key, right? It doesn't automatically sink in. You tell me once, it goes out of my ear, the other ear, right? It doesn't set in until I realize things. And so I need to be constantly taught. And little children need constant readjustments of their values, of their, what their course of life is taking them. Same thing with adults. And so, what happens here is this. What if you're, you're trying to listen to a sermon and a noisy little child comes running around the church, right? Causing a lot of noise, right? That's what little children do. Run around and play. And somehow, sometimes they do it in an appropriate manner. But what happens to you? How do you react? And if your reaction is this, what a bother. I'm here trying to listen to God's Word. I'm here trying to worship with my brothers and sisters. And all these children are coming. Isn't that what the disciples were doing here? Driving them away because there was a far more important thing to do to attend to. There were far more important things that Jesus had to attend to than these little children. And so, that's, that's how we can actually easily replicate the problem of the disciples. And it's, it will now form the culture of our local church. And so, here's the thing. The disciples thought they had good reason to do this, this thing, to drive them away. Because Jesus had far more important concerns, of course. But you have to watch that, right? You have to watch out that is it in connection with the truth, that the reality of what you're saying and doing, is it connected? And so we realize that, that we have to be taught the Word of God, shown the Word of God as well, and that's Jesus. Jesus has been cultivating the kingdom culture for disciples by repeatedly teaching them, constantly teaching and, and showing them the truth, illustrating to them in as many ways connected with life as possible. Here's a caution for us. Be careful that what you see, that what God sees as precious, what God sees as good, you now see as a burden. You now see as troublesome. Do you see people that are coming, are drawing near to Jesus as bothersome, burdensome, 
loathsome. Oh, man, that person, I know him. I know him from before. How, he, no, no, he can't do that, right? Or do you see, what about in your situation? Do you see that whatever situation you are right now in, do you know that God has a hand? He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He's placed you there. He's allowed all these things to happen in your life. Do you see what you have right now, what you're facing as a blessing from God, or is it a burden wherein it's now a cause of complaint and grumbling? And you have to be careful because what you now say that you know, what you also agree in your heart to be true, there would be a disconnect from how you live in reality and react to things. What kind of culture are you cultivating? What you cultivate in your day-to-day encounters with circumstance, with, with your response to people, shapes the culture around you, your home, your church. Are you cultivating a loving culture or an unloving culture where it's marked with, instead of forgiveness, it is marked with unforgiveness. Instead of gentleness, it is marked with harshness. Instead of loving patience, long-suffering, it is marked with irritability. Are you cultivating a loving culture in your home or an unloving one? Are you also cultivating in your, in your life, in your home, in your community, a culture of trust or is it anxiety? That when you're, what, 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 what our children see, what do people close around you see whenever you're ch- tested and tried or come up with problems? Is it of trust in the Lord or is it worry, worry, anxiety? See, those actions contribute to a culture of instability, untrust, unbelief, whereas the other would contribute to drawing people to trust God more. When they see mommy, when they see daddy, I don't, I don't understand. They're, they're, they, they face so much troubles outside, and yet they could still say and tell us to trust God, that God is good, everything will happen, and we can trust God. Are you cultivating a culture of trust or anxiety? By your actions, your day-to-day choices, you either drive people nearer to Jesus, draw ne- them nearer to Jesus, or drive them further away. From Jesus Christ. In Matthew 19, 14, we have two commands from Jesus. Leave them alone, and it's placed on the present tense. And do, don't ever try to stop them from coming to me is a command marked by the future. You see, that's how Jesus addresses his teaching and his modeling. Don't stop people from coming today. And don't try to stop them from coming tomorrow. Somebody once said, Oscar Wilde said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. There is no sinner beyond God's forgiveness. We can, so there should be no reason for us to ever drive people away because of their past because of what we see or that we can't see anything good in the future, there should be no, that should not be in our culture. May we never cultivate that as we cultivate the kingdom culture in our children's lives and in our church. And here's another truth when we see this command. Nobody that ever comes to Jesus is ever a bother to Him. I want to assure any struggling saint right now, if you ever feel that what you've been doing is, you know, you're now embarrassed, you're now ashamed to go to Jesus because, you know, will Jesus still accept me? Am, Am I being a bother too much? Let me tell you, with this, Jesus said, don't let, let anybody ever stop you from coming to Him. Don't let anybody ever, uh, even the future as well, stop you. You are welcome. Nobody is ever insignificant to Jesus. You can come to Him even today. What are you waiting for? Don't let shame stop you. That's, 
the enemy talking. That's yourself talking. What God is saying is you can come to Him anytime. I had a conversation just earlier this week with a dear friend, and, and this person was, was uh, somehow I offered to do this person uh, a, a favor or something that could help this person. And, and the person, uh, you know, one automatic response would they say, oh, I don't want to be a burden to you. Uh, I appreciate it, but, you know, I feel like I would be asking too much of you. And I, I told this person, no, allow me to love you. Allow me to, to, to do this for you. This is my pleasure. It's my, it's my I'd love to do this for you. And I, if, if friends can do that, how much more to a heavenly Father who loves us like precious little children. So it's not for us. He's teach, Jesus teaches His disciples here, and for us, it's not for us to say who can come or who cannot come to Christ. And yes, let Christ be the one to refuse those who come to Him with wrong motives. Yes, let, let Jesus, and He's done that. We've, we've preached about that here. We've studied it in Matthew, in the book of Matthew. He's done that. He's drove people away with His offensive truth, right? Because they couldn't take it. They, they showed the reality of what's in their heart. But it was Jesus who did that, not the disciples. Jesus has allowed us well, those who have followed Him for a while, to leave because of Him. And may it never be that it would be because of us. So, that's, and the third way, last thing, the last point is that He models it for them. He Jesus developed the kingdom culture by loving them, by teaching them, and modeling for them. See, this is so important, parents. You have to learn from the life of, of David. Where in David, in the last, King David, I mean, in the last days of his life, he tells his son Solomon, Solomon, you have to learn, right? You have to, you, have to, you know, be careful uh, don't marry uh, unrighteously. You got to stick to one woman. But David wasn't modeling that for Solomon. David had many wives. And guess what Solomon did? He listened to his dad, but his dad didn't model it for him. And so he ended up as well with more women, more uh, wives than his dad. So we have to, there's a huge importance here. See, what's, what is the most common objection against Christians today? You guys, that, that's Christianity? That's how you live life? That, that, that's a Christian? That's how you love God? That's how you love people? What are you doing? You're not modeling the truth. So this is so important. And Jesus says that, that this is part of how you cultivate the kingdom agenda in your children's life and in the life of people around you so that they can trust God for the rest. And so like the farmer who's done everything he can, he's, he's cultivated his crops as best as he could every day. He's taught them. He's modeled for them. He's loved them as best as he could. Parents, we now, disciples, we now have to trust God who alone can cause the growth. So whatever happens, we, we can say, the Bible tells me that if I've done everything, my child will not stray from his path. I, I've done everything, and my, my, my God tells me that He will take care of, He, he will be the one faithful to begin, to, to finish what was begun. That's Him now. And so, I would like to close with this. Uh, since we got into the, the conversation of uh, cultivating, I, I asked a local a friend of mine who's uh, who, who's so active right now in the bartering community of selling plants, <laughs> and, and so I asked I asked her I uh, said, hey, would you tell me your secret why you're such a good cultivator? You, you have this green thumb, and, and it's so funny. Her her testimony, he, he, she shared to me her testimony. She said, you know what? Um, I didn't have a green thumb in the beginning. In fact, if she, she would describe herself to have the, the black thumb or if that's a term for a plant killer, right? No, but no plant ever survived 
that was under her care. <laughs> but now, I said, how, how, come, how come you're, everything's so good now? You're, you're like a green thumb cultivator. Everything's so wonderful. All the plants, they look so healthy and beautiful. So, what's your secret? What did you do? And this is what she said. He said, you know, actually, it didn't require skill. I didn't, or uh, it didn't, I oh, know. She, she said this. Um, I remember that I, I actually gave this testimony a few years ago when one of our prayer meetings, and, and she said that her secret was just being grateful. Her secret was just being grateful to God. See, he said, oh, when, when every plant that she touched would, would, would die, wouldn't, wouldn't survive, she's somehow learned to be grateful of everything and dependent on God for everything, she would now start to pray and trust God to take care of her plants. Yeah, she would still water, take care of them, but she would now be praying and trusting God as well and be grateful for whatever to resolve. And you know what happens? The plants thrive. And as her interest grew higher, she brought more and more, and here she is today, a person with a green thumb, a cultivator. I'm going to apply that to our principles this today. See? The secret of cultivating the kingdom culture for God's children is all about trusting God in all things and leaving the rest to Him. So let's drop the, I know that, but let's drop all of the pretenses. Let's drop all of the excuses. Let's trust God all the way. Let's learn, be eager to learn whatever Jesus has been teaching us in our life, in our situation. He, we know He loves us. You can trust that. You can go to the bank with that. So whatever you're going through is from a loving parent teaching you something. So what is he teaching you? Trust him and learn it. And then you can model it now for the rest. Develop the kingdom culture for God's children, for your children, because that's the best thing we can do for them, bringing them to the who they need the most in life, Jesus Christ. May God bless you with His Word.